Morning, everyone, and a massive welcome to those of you who are joining us on our live stream as well. It's so good to have you with us. Um, as you know, we're starting a new series today. It's a four-part series called The Sermon on the Amount. And this is a subject that I know people find a little bit difficult to talk about. We don't like talking about it at home. We don't like talking about it in groups or in church. But you know, God says a lot about this subject in the Bible. In fact, it might surprise you to know that there are over 2,300 passages on this subject alone in Scripture. And nothing God puts in his word is there by chance. It's not there because it's not necessary. He knows that this is a difficult thing for us to navigate and has given us a blueprint to work to. And just as a bit of a comparison, if we look at the subject of faith and prayer, we're talking about 500 scriptures on those subjects, but over 2,300 on this issue of money and finance. Now, if God thinks that it is so important to us, we need to see it as important in our lives. We've all got to navigate it. And our heart as leadership of BCC is to instruct and bring discipleship in this area so that you can thrive as individuals, so that you can experience the fullness that God has intended for each one of us. It's not a fundraising campaign. I'm not going to be passing the bucket to take up an offering at the end of it. I just want you to get God's heart and understand why this is important to him. So just before I start, I want to recommend a book to you that has so, so impacted me over the years. It's called The Blessed Life by Pastor Robert Morris, who, who pastors a church in South Lake, Texas called Gateway. And his, his life story is one of faithful stewardship before the Lord and extreme, extravagant, sacrificial generosity. And it is one of the most balanced, if not the most balanced book I've read on this topic ever. And so I highly recommend this. And we do have some copies downstairs if you'd like to get one. They're £10 each. So you can follow along in the notes today in the Uversion app. If you go to events, click on Birmingham City Church. You can add to the notes. You can make your own comments. You can save that so that you can follow along later also. So this first part of the series is called The Principle of the First. It's something that runs right the way through Scripture, right from Genesis through to Revelation. And I grew up in church, so I was six when I became a Christian. And worship back then was very different to what it is now. And so we would sing, we'd probably have maybe ten people on the stage, all strumming guitars, quite badly, might I add. And the worship leader would pick this one song... And he would come to the front and he would divide the congregation into two. Some of you know where I'm going with this. And this section over here would start singing, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And this section over here would just be really quiet until they got to the chorus, started singing hallelujah. And then they started singing the verse, Seek ye first, and they were singing the chorus. And then it would swap. And then it would swap until somebody figured out how do we bring this round to an end. You know, it was such a popular song, and I think we must have done it most weeks. Such a popular scripture in Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But my question this morning to us, and I am included in this, okay? So don't ever think that because somebody is here preaching to you that we are exempt 
we're not. We go through all the same struggles that everybody else goes through. My question is, is God really first in my life? And more specifically, is he first in this area of my life, my financial life? So I want to look at some of the ways that God began to teach us this principle of the first. And the first thing I want to share is that the firstborn must be offered. And so in Exodus chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, it says this, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The firstborn offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. And Exodus 13, 12 and 13 says, You are to give over, in, all, in other words, to consecrate to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. And redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. Now the first thing, I'm going to say this word first so many times today, is to notice the word belong. That God states the first portion, the firstborn belongs to me. It is holy, it is consecrated to me. Well, just a little bit of an explanation of this sacrificial process. So there were two types of animal, clean animals and unclean animals. So a lamb was a clean animal. Now, lambs could be born unclean. You know, they may be blemished or something wrong with them. But a, but a, a lamb, as it stands, would be classed as clean. And so that would be an acceptable sacrifice unto God. Now, we're told here that donkeys were classed as unclean. And so when a firstborn donkey was born, if that was then sacrificed to God, it would be deemed unacceptable by God because it was unclean. And so a clean lamb would be sacrificed in its place to pay the price for that unclean animal. So what does all of this sacrificial imagery have to do with us today? We know that in Scripture, so much of what we see in the Old Testament has a mirror image in the New. Let's think about people for a moment. We've just partaken of communion. We've been reminded of what Jesus did for us. He is the spotless, sinless, blemish-free Lamb of God, who God gave to us knowing full well that some of us would still not accept him, but God gave him anyway. He was God's best, he was God's first and God's only son. And we had to have a sacrifice once and for all to pay for our sin. Jesus' sacrifice is what redeems us so that we don't have to go through that Old Testament process of sacrificing animals anymore because Jesus has now completed that in a new covenant. The next thing that we see is that the first fruits must be also offered. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with your first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. And two parts of this sentence, we have an action and then we have a reaction, an effect to that action. So we are required to act on this, to honor the Lord with our wealth. 
to bring to him the first fruits of all of our crops. And it is when we have been obedient to that part that God then says, then I will fill you to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. So that happens as a result of our obedience to what God asks. Exodus 23, 19 says, bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. And Leviticus 27.30 tells us that a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy unto him. Belongs. I need you to remember that word because that's going to come up quite a lot too. There are many references throughout the Bible. And even just yesterday, I believe it was, in the version daily reading that I know many of you are participating in, was talking about this very principle of honouring God first and the power that came with multiplication um, in 1 Kings, I believe it was. But I just want to share with you a few examples and encourage you, as you read scripture, to look out for that word first and see what is God saying? Is he showing me yet another example of this principle in action? So Abraham and Isaac, how many decades had Abraham waited for his son to be born? That God had promised him so many descendants that he'd not be able to count them. But yet, how can that happen when we are childless? And eventually, in their old age, they conceive, and Sarah gives birth to Isaac. And it says just a few short years later, because Isaac was a small boy, that God speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice Isaac to me. Now, as a parent, I can't even begin to think what that would feel like if God had said to me, when my children were just three or four years old, sacrifice them to me. And I know that I would not have reacted the way that Abraham did. He got up the following day. He got everything ready that he needed in order to go through with what God had asked him to do. And he went on the journey, probably talking to Isaac, telling Isaac about what God had done, who God was, how great he is. And little did he know that his dad was about to sacrifice him. But we know that God didn't let him go through with that. This was a test to Abraham. You see, sometimes I think we can earnestly long for something so much that when God answers that prayer, that which he has provided, that which he has blessed us with, that which he has given to us as an answer, can sometimes be elevated to such a place that it begins to overtake the place of God. And we focus more on what we've received rather than on the one that has provided that answer and that blessing. And right at the last minute, God says, no, there's a ram over here. I want you to sacrifice that. It was a test of Abraham's obedience to God. It was a test of his devotion and his love to God, whether he loved God more and was willing to sacrifice what seemed like the only answer to the promise that God had given him. In Joshua chapter 6, we see the walls of Jericho coming down. And this was the first city, Jericho was the first city to be conquered in the promised land. They went on to conquer more cities. But of this city, God said to them, do not take 
anything of the spoils of the treasure. Do not remove anything from the site. It is to be devoted to me, and it is to stay devoted and consecrated to me. And then in 1 Kings chapter 17, we have the story of Elijah and the widow. Now, up until this point, Elijah has been provided for with water in the brook. Uh, the, the ravens have supplied food for him, and this had all stopped. And we can often think that him going to this new city was about God providing for Elijah. But I want to say that maybe this was just about provision for the widow. Because he, he meets the widow in the city and says to her, can you give me something to drink and something to eat? Now there is famine right across the land and she has a small amount of flour, a small amount of oil left. And she says to Elijah, this is all I have. It's enough for one meal. I'm going to make this meal for myself and for my son. And then we're going to die because there is no more food. And God speaks to her through Elijah and says, will you honor me first? Will you feed me first? Because God promises you that if you do, you will not run out of supplies. He will provide for you. In that moment, she has to wrestle with that. She has to say, well, this doesn't make any sense, does it? I have just a small amount of food. Where is this food going to come from that God speaks about? There is famine everywhere. Surely it is the right thing for me to look after myself and my son. But she chooses to honor God first, and she feeds Elijah first. And we know that her oil and her flour did not run dry for the duration of the famine until the rains came again. That was another two and a half years simply because she had faith in God and chose to honor him first. So how do we honor God first in our finances? Well, Malachi 3, um, the whole section of it, but I just want to read verse 10 and 11 for you today. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to contain it. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of the land and your vine in your field will not fail to produce fruit. So firstly, I just want to explain what a tithe is. Because not everybody understands that, not everybody knows. And maybe you're new to church and maybe have not heard the word tithe talked about. The word tithe simply means a tenth or 10% of a given value. And what God is asking here is that firstly, the tithe is brought into the storehouse. It's the only time in scripture where he says that we can test him. And he says, see... If as a result of this action, of you being obedient to what I'm asking for, see if my blessing is not all over you. See if I will not take care of the, the, the devourer who would destroy your crops. I want you to trust me in this. I want you to have faith in me in this. And it's crucial to understand that the tithe does require faith. Now, I've got a visual aid I have a hundred pounds here, 
and because I like easy maths and I didn't want to bring my calculator up with me, you will see that I have 10 £10 notes that make up the 100. And so a tenth, 10% 10 of 100 is £10. So each one of these has the same monetary value of £10. Each one of these has the potential to be the tithe. But which one is? And simply, it's whichever one here that I take and that I submit to God first before anything else is the tithe. Now, what we sometimes do because of lack of understanding is that payday comes, we have our £100, and we go, okay, mortgage and rent, got to take care of that one. Electric, big one. Petrol, big one. Groceries, things for the kids for school. Oh, and look, everything's taken care of, and now I have a tithe that I can bring with me to church on Sunday. And when we look at scripture, God tells us that the first not only belongs to him, but the first must be brought to him. This wasn't my first. This was a bit of an afterthought. This was me saying, let me see if there is enough. It didn't require any faith. It didn't require me to trust God. And what I need to remember is that it is the very first portion that is the redemptive portion. This is the one that redeems this. You see, this achieves far more when it sits under God's blessing and is redeemed than this ever could on its own. And this is what God is trying to get us to understand. Submit this section to me because it belongs to me. And I bless this. It's very specific also about the location of where we bring the tithe. So the tithe was to be brought into the storehouse. Now, the tribe of Levi, the Levites, had oversight of the temple. And adjoined to the temple would be the storehouse where the tithes were brought in. Now, we deal with cash today, don't we, with money. Back then, they would be trading in crops, in grain, in fruit, in vegetables, in livestock. And so you can imagine, you know, we may have an offering box on the back wall. They would need a whole room storehouse in order to bring those tithes in. And because the Levites didn't have, they were the only tribe that didn't receive an inheritance of land from God, they were provided for via the tithes and offerings that came into the storehouse, as well as the needs of others being met, whether those were widows, orphans, those just generally poor and in need would be provided for through the storehouse. So God is very specific about this. Now remember that this first portion, he's saying, it is mine, it is holy to me, and I need you to bring it in. And this is where we struggle sometimes, because whilst we may be okay with the concept of tithing and, and bringing that to God, we decide that, you know what, I need to deal with this situation over here, so I'm going to take that tithe and I'm going to use it to pay down some debt that I'm accumulating, because that's a good thing, right? And I've got family members or I've got friends or I've got other situations that I want to bless and help. 
But God is saying, bring the whole tithe into my storehouse. He has never given us responsibility to break it up. He has never given us the opportunity to dictate where it goes. Now, I want you to absolutely hear me on this point that it is so good and commendable to pay down debt, to help others, to send money back home, and all the different things that we may see as appropriate to use our tithe on. But God says these things should be done as well as. We are not to take off that which belongs to God and dictate how it is. need that 10 pounds he's the god of the universe that owns everything has everything at his disposal but you see what he wants is my commitment to him what he wants is me to say god i'm choosing to honor you and i'm choosing to bring this portion back to you as you have requested because i know that what you do is so powerful in my life because of that that i want to submit it to you romans 11:16 tells us that if the first fruits are holy, then the whole batch is holy. He uses two words to describe the tithe, this first portion. And the first word he uses is return. He doesn't say give the tithe into the storehouse. He says return it. So if we remember that he says at the beginning that this portion belongs to him, you cannot physically give something that belongs to somebody else. Now, if I you know, gave my car keys to somebody in the congregation today and said, you know, you can use this for the next week, and then they came back the following week and said to me, Paula, I really feel God leading me to give you this car. I would look at them a bit strange and think, mm, no, I think that car belongs to me. I'll just have the keys back. Thank you very much. You can't give what doesn't belong to you. And that is exactly the way that God wants us to view this first portion. The other way, and this is the one that hurts, okay? The other way that God talks about the tithe is if you haven't returned it, you've stolen it. Ouch. Now, I know if I ask for a show of hands, who in this room intentionally wants to steal from God? No one's going to put their hand up because nobody wants to steal from God. And yet, because of lack of understanding or lack of knowledge, maybe we've never seen this before in Scripture, that if we haven't actually returned it to him, he says, you've withheld it and you've stolen it from me. Another thing that we get hung up on that we find really difficult is that we think that we can dismiss all of this because it's so far in the Old Testament that it's not applicable anymore because we're under a period of grace now. The law no longer applies. And I just want to share with you a couple of examples that show hundreds of years before the law that God established a principle of honoring him first and also after the law. So if you think about at the very beginning, Adam and Eve, before they even sinned, had dominion over the whole garden. They had the responsibility to manage it and steward it well. And God said, you can partake of anything you like in this garden except one tree. And you are not to eat of its fruit. You are to leave it alone. And we know that they disobeyed God and the consequence of that was huge. Their sons, Cain and Abel, in Genesis chapter 4, 
One kept livestock, one was a farmer of crops. And Abel brought the first portions of his livestock to God as an offering, and God accepted his offering. And his brother Cain, it says, in the process of time, brought an offering to God. And God speaks to Cain because he warns him he was not happy with that offering. It was not acceptable to God. He warns Cain and says, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. Do what is right. Cain was very angry with God. He was very angry with his brother Abel. And he didn't choose to do what was right. You see, in the process of time was when he got around to it, he bought something. So he didn't bring of the first, and he didn't bring it first before anything else either. It was an afterthought. And he went on to murder his brother because of the anger that he felt towards God and Abel. You see, God can't accept second place in our lives. Because if he does, he accepts that it's okay for something else to have a higher place than him. Now, it doesn't matter what we do, how obedient or disobedient we are, we can't change the fact that he's God. But we can change the fact as to whether or not he's God in our lives by how much we exalt him over everything else. Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. This is 500 plus years before the law. And Melchizedek is um, explained to be a type of Christ in Hebrews without beginning or end, no genealogy, king of righteousness and king of peace. And Abraham would submit to Melchizedek, who was this higher authority in his life. So these are all examples, and there are others, of pre-law, principle of the first in operation. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus in uh, conversation with the Pharisees. And we know that the Pharisees were great at upholding the law. Have they prayed today? Yes, they have. Tick box. And they've done it loudly so everybody could hear. Did they fast? Yes, they did. And they wore sackcloth and ashes so everybody knew that they were, you know, fasting and it was not good for them. And they were no different with giving and offerings and tithing and bringing the first. They knew what God wanted. But it was a tick box exercise for them. And Jesus, in verse 23 of Matthew 23, rebukes them, calls them hypocrites because they've tithed on their spices but have neglected more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, and tells them you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, you need to do both. Matthew 5:17 tells us that Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. For I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Can I just ask the worship team to come and join me, please? You see, it's so important to understand that this principle of honoring God first is not about a financial transaction. It's about a spiritual one, a spiritual transformation between our hearts and our God. We constantly battle with control issues. We constantly battle with self. I've already said, you know, we we have these 
idea is that we can abolish things of the law because they're irrelevant. And Jesus shows us that under grace, under this new covenant, we have a far greater standard than ever was under law. He said under the law, it was unacceptable to murder somebody, but under grace, it's not even okay to be angry with someone. Under the law, it was not okay to be adulterous. And under the grace period, it is now not okay to even look lustfully at somebody else. And so we see under grace a much higher standard in place. And yet we struggle because somehow we think that on the issue of honoring God financially, that we think that is the one area where God has lowered the standard. But what we actually see in the New Testament, in particular in the New Testament Church of Acts, is that they wait way beyond honoring God with a tenth. They practiced sacrificial, extravagant generosity because of a higher standard and of what God had done in giving us his son. We struggle so much with this area. And I want to let you know that sometimes I struggle with it too. That I have to keep going back to the word of God and saying, God, I know you've said this in your word, but I find it really hard. There have been times where I've just been okay with it. And times where God has asked me to do something and it has taken me a year and a half to be obedient. Not the next day, a year and a half. And I'm not proud of that. But I say that to make you understand that this is a process, this is a journey. That sometimes we turn around and we say, God, I don't think you quite understand my situation here. Have you seen the cost of things at the moment? I need to take back some, some, some form of control and I need to manage this. And we start to doubt God's word and we start to lose the ability to trust and have faith in him. Maybe we make decisions about, well, I'm going to tithe, but I'm going to tithe on my net and not my gross. Because at the end of the day, we don't see the gross, do we? Taxman takes his cut, the pension company take theirs. But I'm really challenged by that because God keeps telling me, honor me first, honor me with the best. Don't withhold anything from me. And the reality is I earn the full amount. But it's hard. But I want you to see how important it is that we, that we understand this process, that the reason why it feels like it costs us so much is because we haven't yet grasped that it was never ours to hold on to. That when God says, this is mine, I'm not giving any extra of myself. I'm simply returning what he has set aside. And when I feel that it costs me, that is an indication to me that, Paula, you're trying to control it again. Let it be. Let it go back to God. Don't let this be a tick box exercise with no meaning behind it. Grasp God's heart. And at the same time, let's not see it as some sort of magic formula that if we start tithing, that everything is okay. And we'll see in the next few weeks that it is so important to not just set a foundation, 
of submission and honouring God in this way, but that we also, with good, godly, wise stewardship, the two together, is what releases God's blessing, is what releases us into financial health and spiritual growth. The author Larry Baquette puts it this way. He says, bringing the first to God is a material surrender that is prompted by a spiritual surrender. We can't do the physical surrender unless we've done the spiritual heart surrender to God. And that is exactly what God wants from us. It's summed up in Matthew 6, 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. It takes time. It doesn't say there your heart is. It's not instant. It says, where your treasure is, your heart will follow. If I was to take all of this today and go and buy myself some stocks and shares, guess what I'm going to be checking tomorrow and the day after and the day after that? Why? Because I've invested part of myself into a system and I'm, my heart follows and I'm going to keep an eye on it. Is it going up? Is it going down? Do I need to sell? Do I need to hold on to it? More than anything, God is after our hearts. And this is the one area that I think is the hardest for us to surrender to him. And in bringing that first portion to him, we're saying, God, I'm giving you my heart again. I am elevating you to pride of place in this area of my life so that I can have redemption on everything else that remains, so that I can be a godly steward in the way that you've intended me to be. Let's stand, because we're going to enter into a time of worship now. I know that I have said some things today that are challenging, but I want to grow as a believer, and if I only do the bits that are nice, I'm never going to experience the fullness of God at work in my life. This is a journey. But we can start today by saying, God, I want to do this. I want to put you first. And I might not get it right all the time. And I may need some help. And I may mess it up. But it's all about my heart intent. Saying, God, I want to do this because I want to elevate you to the position that you deserve to be in my life. So as we worship, Let's ask God to just speak to us. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to us? I may have said some things today that God has already been saying to you that you feel today has been confirmation of that. Maybe God is really challenging you in an area like I know he has done me in the past. And the important thing is that we're open to hear what he says and that we're willing to trust him and take a step of faith. So as we worship him, Let's put him in the center of all that we do, not just financially, but in every aspect of our life. And if you feel that you want to come forward to do business with God, please feel free to do that. If you want somebody to pray with you, we can accommodate that too, whether it's on this issue or any other issue. We'll have prayer team available to pray with you, but let's just sink ourselves deep into worship of God right now.